Welcome to the HTW Podcast, where your hosts, Erica Huss and Zoe Sakutis, founders of Blueprint Cleanse, the iconic juice brand that sparked a multi-billion dollar category. We bootstrapped, scaled, and sold, and now we're moving on. We stepped away from the juicer and into the sound studio to talk about this rapidly evolving world of wellness. We'll sit down with wellness experts and entrepreneurs for candid conversations and tales from the trenches, how they got their start, how they turned their ailments into ideas, and what they've learned along the way. And we'll bring you news, updates, and our unsolicited opinions on everything we discover in sickness and in wealth. Located at the intersection of wellness and business, H2W is your navigator on the bumpy highway to well. Good morning, Erica. Good morning, Zoe. So we talked to Latham Thomas. Latham Thomas is a maven among mavens. And the reason that I say this is because she spends more time with vaginas than most women I could think of. And in my mind, that makes her a maven. Yeah, there are two professions, I think, actually, that I, I, you know, hats off to doulas and people who wax your bikini line. Yes, all, everybody that's down in that department by choice and by trade. You're looking at so many vaginas a day and you're just not getting the same salary that an OBGYN is going to command. But yet... You're just staring the Ginny straight in the face every day. Saying, what's what? What's what? You're like, where do you want this? What's happening here? (laughs) Where are we going to take this relationship? Um, But, you know, I think that Latham is really, I mean, she really is like truly in it for all the right reasons. And she's really like her, she's created this entire business and this experience. She's a doula and she's got Mama Glow, which is considered the ultimate destination. It's the maternity lifestyle destination. Yeah. And doula, so just... Yeah, let's break it down. Yes. So people who have had children uh, come through their bodies will know that sometimes it's good to have a companion in the birth room and someone who is your biggest advocate. So a doula is someone who is, I think, completely a thousand percent necessary to have the best experience possible. You know, no offense to my husband, but if I didn't have my doula in the room with me, I will like that shit would have been 10 times harder. I mean, they basically are kind of like the red carpet team for the baby. The red carpet team for you. They're like, you know, we're going to make you comfortable. Right. Like, what do we need? Do you need water? What's on your rider? Do you need green M&Ms? Exactly. So my doula was like double fisting, like bone broth and coconut water, like real coconut water while I was in labor and while I was pushing. And she was just like putting like cold peppermint compresses on my face. And I mean, like it was really, it was just like, I don't know how I could have done it without her. It was crazy. Just so, you know, like a doula is not a midwife, it's not an OB, but they are kind of assisting in everything else. So, but so what is really like the, the real, just the concrete difference between a midwife and a doula? A midwife is delivering your baby. So when you're giving birth, you're either going to a traditional OB in a hospital or you're going to a midwife, which she can, or he can also deliver in a hospital. But, you know, oftentimes people will attempt for a home birth or a birthing center. Are there male midwives? Yeah, I'm sure they exist, but you know, most often it's you're, it's a woman's it's a woman's job. Is he still called <laughs> a midwife? I mean, he's not a mid husband. I mean, good question. I don't know. We're gonna have to look that one up. You're like, I'm on my. You know where I'm going with this? 
the Latham is an amazing doula. She was almost my doula, but we had a scheduling conflict, so it didn't work out. But, you know, I love her. I think she's amazing. And she talks to us about her experience and how she got into this world of doulaism. And I mean, even from a young age, it was like preordained. Like she, she's just like, she's like a seer and a hearer. And she kind of just taps into like a whole other level, which I think is fascinating. Like she can hear plants, for example. Yeah, she talks about how she can hear, like, because I'm, you know, when I'm like, mm, is this fruit ripe? You know, I'm just going to yes, like, it is. yeah, I, who said that? <laughs> I'm just looking at it and I'm holding it and I'm squeezing it and just like molesting it in weird ways. And she apparently, you know, tell whether it's ripe or not. And she can actually just like, apparently she's getting some deeper vibration. That's impressive. Right. I mean, and also impressive that she was able to actually apply this like amazing skill into a concrete way, which is like working with herbs and creating, you know, medicinal supplements or, or whatever you want to call them, preparations for her clients. Um, and really, I mean, she's like, she's like an earth mother. Like she really is like a mother of the earth and she's just got amazing energy. Like I think when she walked into the room, it was just like things kind of shifted a little bit and hearing her story was really fascinating. And I mean, she's been, she's, she's had like a big life. Like she's been a lot of places. She's traveled a ton. She's just been like, she's on a different plane. She's got a lot of knowledge and she's got a very calming presence. And I think that that is obviously a wonderful thing to have in life, but also in the birthing room. Also when someone's got their hand in your junk. I mean, I know there's an arm up your vagina right now. <laughs> I know there's a human body coming through your vaginal canal, but just stay with me. I mean, that's really, you need that. So anyway, have a listen, Latham. We really enjoyed our time with you. We love your glow. Lady, just keep the glow going. Love your mama glow. So Erica, you're going to introduce today, right? I am. Yeah, I'm going to read I sound like amazing bio okay. and I don't want to get anything wrong. Oh, Lord. Um, we are here with Latham Thomas, a.k.a. Glow Maven, a celebrity wellness and lifestyle maven and birth doula, transforming not only how women give birth to their babies, but how they give rise to the best version of themselves, which is amazing. Named one of Oprah Winfrey's Super Soul 100. She's the founder of Mama Glow a lifestyle brand and highly regarded website offering inspiration, education, and holistic services for expectant and new mothers. And also the author of the new book, Own Your Glow. Yeah. Amazing. Hello. Yay. Thank Hi, you. Hi, Latham. Hi. Welcome. How are you? We're good. How are you? I'm good too. I'm glad it's spring. Yes. Oh, I'm yeah. not. I'm not. What? Zoe's not, sinuses are not. No. Oh, the sinus moment. It's, okay. It's spring in New York City and it is the worst month <laughs> of the year for me. Really? Like it's so bad that I, I fled to LA for six weeks once. Really? Just to escape this month. It's like a light switch for me, but we're not going to talk about that. No. Is it just because it's the pollen? It's the tree pollen. It's, pollen. it's like these giant oak trees that just happen to yeah. line my street in yeah. Brooklyn. And then like, I just look out my window and cry. It's plant sperm. I was going to say, you yeah, know, plant you know sperm. plants so well. So yeah. like how do you sperm. make them not be evil for so <laughs> Nice segue. <laughs> I mean, I grew up around oak trees because I'm from Oakland. So, oh my God, is that why it's named Oakland? Yes. I didn't know that. Isn't that funny? <laughs> it's yeah. like everything Oakland. just it's makes so sense now. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm yeah. like immune. I Like I don't. The tree, the oak trees don't do it for me oh, on the allergy yeah. tip. But I mean, I've been inoculated. I've been inoculated. Yeah. yeah. Is that where you fall in love with plants? In California? Yeah. Yes. 
I think California is like 30 years ahead of New York in, yes. in wellness and right. So totally all of the things that are popular now, I'm like, what? You guys are just figuring that out? It's shocking though. I feel like New York, you know, we're known for being cutting edge on, on everything, everything else. And wellness is just like woefully late to the dance. It's so unbelievable. Late. Well, know. you know what I think happens is that California is sort of more like woven into the fiber and everyone kind of participates at whatever level. But then... Mm-hmm they don't kind of like blow it up in the same way New Yorkers do. So like if New Yorkers stumble upon something and they love it and they adopt it, it's like this they take it from zero yeah. to a hundred. Whereas New York or real California. Quick. Yeah. So then it, then it becomes quote unquote real. Right. Well, and right. I guess to your point, because California, like that is just the way of life. So it's not even like you have something to compare it to. Like, right. It's just what we it's do. It's true. Right. It's true. Well, good yeah. for you. You're lucky. I grew up here, obviously. I mean, my son's oh. growing up here, you know. You both have children growing up here. Yeah. yeah. We have kids growing up here. That's right. Yeah. So we got to bring the, I got to bring the Cali here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And are you in, you're in the city? Are you in Manhattan or Brooklyn? Or I just moved to Brooklyn. You did? Yeah, I did. Welcome. 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 I feel like. Where? In Williamsburg. Okay. Brooklyn. And. You know, I was never, I was like, just never going to do it. And um, anytime it was a discussion, I was like, wait, no, we don't talk about Brooklyn. We don't move that we visit. (laughs) And then we Uber Uh, back. And also um, it was one of those things I was like, I don't even know. Like, do you take the Amtrak? Like, how do I? Like, I just couldn't. (laughs) Long Island Railroad? I couldn't wrap my head around it. And then I started visiting. I was like, it's really cute, actually. And then I was like, okay, yeah, but I want to go back home. And so I would have this anxiety, like, I just need to get back home because I think I'm liking it here. And so I would get back to the city and it was, it's loud. You know, I lived in Chelsea before that in Harlem for 11 years. And so um, moving to Brooklyn, it's like a gradual downtown. So it wasn't like from Harlem to Brooklyn. It was like Harlem, West Village, Chelsea, and then Brooklyn. Mm. So I feel like I was tempered to get to Brooklyn. You got acclimated. Yeah, I'm totally acclimated now. And you love it. I love it. There's like birds when I wake up. And it's just quiet. It's a very peaceful experience living in Brooklyn, I have to say. I, mean, I like it. it. But Williamsburg yeah. is not the most peaceful. I mean, I actually just left there after 17 years. Really? Yeah. I was, I was going to So there you were going to more a peaceful experience. I know. I'm sorry. But now Fort Greene is like, <laughs> God, I feel like I graduated from something. I don't know what. But Fort Greene's awesome. Yeah, it's yeah. cool. It's like, I don't know. It's, a very, it's like a nice it's a community. It's like yeah. very neighborhoody. Okay, let's go back to Oakland for a second. Yeah. Let's get on the Long Island Railroad and go back to Oakland. (laughs) Can we talk about sort of how you started and like maybe touch on the plant stuff? Yeah. Just in general, like how did you find wellness and wellness find you? Again, that's one of those things I feel like it was just in the air, you know, being in California. But I grew up in Oakland. My grandfather was like a big pot grower and stuff. And um, so my entire life, I just knew him to be growing all types of plants, but specifically marijuana plants. And um, he taught us a lot about gardening and growing. We always had, there was always plants in the yard and, and down the street, we had a neighbor or aunts who were growing different things. And so we would harvest. I made my first little cookbook with Polaroids when I was eight. Oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> so do you cute. still have it? No, oh. we, I gave it to my aunt as a gift and it got lost. But what was cool was like, um, you know, we'd gather the stuff and I'd be like, okay, Granny, can you make us a soup? And she would make a soup from the food from outside. And we were so proud of ourselves. And so I was always like tapped into life cycles like that. And then in our own yard, we like stuff, we didn't even plant a lot of the stuff. It just grew. Mom was like, Mom, there's tomatoes here, an eggplant, and it looks like this is here. And this sounds like a made up story. It was like, amazing. I can't believe this happened. No, we had enough tomatoes, I remember one time to harvest to give to one of 
of the local restaurants because we because my mom would not eat them and she didn't really make tomatoes stuff for us. So she was like, we're just going to give them to this restaurant. And so um, why, why didn't she eat tomatoes? With the nightshades? She just didn't like them. Yeah, the tomato yeah. hater. Yeah, she just didn't like them. And so we didn't no get patience. to have like them as much already. growing up. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so that was kind of, you know, that was the exposure, you know. And then I met this master herbalist. At, when I was like seven, I guess, in the farmer's market. And she like would invite me to come to Larkspur and hang out and learn about the plants and stuff. So I started listening to, you know, plants and plant vibrations and understanding when the magic should be harvested and then how to make tinctures and salves and okay. cough syrups and things so like that. I've heard you say this before on another podcast, perhaps. <laughs> and I need to understand what happens when you, when you, like, what is the vibration? What do you actually experience? You, so it probably was like my, one of my first meditative experiences, but you just sit in this, um, when you're sitting on the land and when you're in a place where there's not like, you know, you're not in the sort of ambient noise like New York City, even New York City has its own um, drone like sound that is the undertone of what your entire experience will be as you walk through the world. Mm-hmm. But when you're in a place that's mostly quiet then you're finding sound vibration, but also there's, when you find the sound, there's also movement and feeling. And so as you're sitting in a room, even like how we are, you feel, you get in tune when you're quiet enough. And so I can't really describe what it feels like or what you you see it is like a vibration there's a there's an energy mm-hmm. and every plant and everything that we eat that's alive has a vibrational yeah. power and so we know that plants because of what they're fortified they're fortified and so when we go pull them when they're ripe they're that they're at their highest vibration so when you're sitting with them for me i was just like after a while, able to determine like these ones are ready versus these ones, you know, and then you just figure it out. But it wasn't like a, it's not like a thinking thing. Mm -hmm. It's like a feeling. Mm -hmm. You're just in the land and you're like, okay, cool. It's just, it's just in your, it just becomes a part of who you are because this wisdom's already in our bones because our ancestors had to go forage food. So they knew what to pick. So if we're in a space where we're forced to Mm -hmm. or where we're inclined to, after a while, you'll start to connect and be like, you know what? The blackberries are ripe or you know, this is ready or I'm it's kind of like tapping medicine. into like a primal intuition. I mean, primal awareness. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. Okay. So next time I'm earthing, I'm just going to stop and listen to the ambient sound. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The earthing is so key too, because people think that, you know, oh, it's like this, you know, cool, like whatever, I'm going to stand outside. But we don't often in New York, because it's so filthy, you don't really put your feet in the, in the, dirt. You're not going to put it in like, you're going to walk down the street. But like, if you really get in some soil, like good quality soil, Mm -hmm. there's a magnetic charge that goes through your feet. Our bodies are electrically charged. So we get like how we plug our phones into the wall, we get the same charge. Mm -hmm. So you can, so you, you get to actually tap into the landscape of where you are and get informed by where you are. Yeah. You know, so if you're going to pull the food or the plants, the healing plants of that place, Mm -hmm. it's super good to be with your feet on the ground, your butt on the ground, your hands in the dirt Mm -hmm. so that you can really tap into where you are. I'm I'm just going to give a little warning to those who live in Brooklyn and New York City. So I have a backyard. I have like... Me too. Awesome backyard. And I have two small children. And so, you know, being a little bit like... (laughs) 
obsessive. I, I hired an environmentalist to come and sort of do some soil testing. Mm-hmm. And so basically we discovered, because I was like, I want to know what the lead level no is. No earthing at your house? No earthing in my backyard. So in all of Brooklyn, this is what I learned, took a soil sample from my backyard in Brooklyn, tested it for lead. Every single piece of dirt in Brooklyn has like unsafe levels of lead. How depressing is that? I'm sorry. So but sad. I know. I probably just like ruined All right, your so day. So we got to stick to like leaves and you you go upstate. You got to get out of the city. Go upstate. Yeah. 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 You got to get out of the city. Yeah. Or you can create your own soil beds and bring in your own soil right. and do all that stuff, too. Yeah. yeah. Get a bulldozer. Just. Yeah. <laughs> all right. We got to go back to Oakland. Sorry. We need to understand your journey because it is so long and fascinating. Oakland. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, I was there. I grew up there. I have a, a sister who's five years younger. My mom was a single mother. She raised us both, you know, two girls in Oakland. Also, before my sister was born, my mom, my aunt, and my great aunt were all pregnant at the same time. And I was four years old. So when you're that age and you see like everything, every belly is at the height of where your head, your eyeline is. Wow. You're like, wow. Like, What was the age difference between your mom and your great aunt? Um, Or your aunt and your great aunt? My mom and my aunt were similar age because that was my uncle's wife, Mm -hmm. right? So she and my mom were probably like, you know, a few years apart. She was closer to my mom's age. Okay. Yeah. So you were literally surrounded by wombs like at eye level. <laughs> Always. I was like bumping in like, oh, you know, like bumping into bellies. And, but it was really cool because my mom taught me also at that age, like, you know, anatomy. So she was mm-hmm. like, OK, here's all of our parts. And she explained them like scientifically and didn't use um, like there was net. You could never say pee in my house. You could never say like any slang. No cutesy for, nicknames. No. Yeah. It right. was like our body. These are our body parts. Right. And so I remember people would say, oh, that's so cool. Like you're going to have a sibling and, you know, the baby's in your mom's belly. I was like, um, actually, the baby is in my mom's uterus and it's coming out of her vagina. <laughs> And they were like, oh, my God. So she was like, yeah, you know, that's, that's what that's the truth. You know, So she really was really about like education and empowerment through the body and understanding. And so I never had this idea that pregnancy or birth could be like, you know, bad or hard or private or, or, or just yeah. like that. It was even something that we should think of in a way that wasn't possible for us or through our bodies or or like that there was hardship involved, but that it was just this process and it was sacred and it was every woman's unique um, rite of passage. And so that's like the lens, right, that I was coming from with my mom. And fast forward, I think, you know, the being outside and having this like really wonderful, um, whimsical kind of exposure to the natural sciences and then and the outdoors and then through also the pregnancy it's it's kind of like shaped all of these areas of how I layer life cycles and how I see them in relation to doula work in relation to parenting in relation to like where we are in our world today as it relates to the environmental impact that we've made on this planet and how we can improve how we move you know on this planet and so all of that stuff like I think shaped you know, the rudiments of, of my work, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, do you feel like at that stage in your life, it was already just sort of intrinsic in you? Like, this is this is where I'm gravitating. This is the work I'm going to do. Or was it more, did it occur to you later? And then you kind of put the pieces together from your past? Yeah, so what is a constellation now, but definitely huh. was not when I was younger. I wasn't like, oh yeah, I think I want to, you know, be around babies or I want to deliver babies or I want to even be around plants. I think it was just like, 
I, there were moments that were very, that I remember like what I was even wearing. Mm -hmm. Like I can remember everything about certain moments in life. And now as I look back, I can connect the dots and see that those were rudimentary moments that helped to shape I love you know, that analogy you use, the constellation. That's yeah. It's a, a neat way of thinking about it. So when, so what was that timeline? So when did you arrive here and what did you think you were going to do? Mm, I arrived here in 1998 and I went to, I came to go to Columbia University and I thought I was going to be a scientist. I did. I thought I would be a biologist because I had such an impressive background with plant systems and botany and things like that. So I was like, I'm going to be a scientist. I'm going to like just, you know, like slay all these classes because I didn't want to do the math and the required (laughs) classes were either science or math. And then you could do like humanities and masterpieces of Western literature, Western art, like all these things that you had to do, which were great classes. But then it was like, uh, how am I going to get out of this like math, you know, thing? (laughs) So I was like, okay, let me do all science. So I was like, this is going to be so easy. And then so I did all the science classes. And I remember I was moving towards like a major and you had to take, I think there was like some sort of biochemistry kind of related course that I did. I forgot even what it was. I just remember I took it only for two weeks because I was bringing people to the labs at night and like hanging out. And, you know, it was like, to me, I was like, oh, I'm going to be in the lab anyway to like one in the morning. Mm -hmm. Like, let me bring friends. Let's like hang out. I'm going to just be under this microscope. Let's (laughs) turn on music. They were like, no, like this is not how like people focus. It's quiet. It's like a library. I was like, oh, I can't do this. So I was like, let me like not do that. I'll do environmental science where I can be outside and be noisy and have fun and also do visual arts, which is also a big interest of mine. And so I did a double major, visual arts, environmental science. Environmental science is way like more suitable for me Mm -hmm. and also really suited my interests and and already my leanings. I think that that was where like the bridge happened for me around these, these interests. And it would really culminate once I finished school and like moved on in life and fell in love and had a baby is mm-hmm. where it really converged. Like mm. the the experiences from when I was a child kind of met the experiences from college and there was a confluence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so when was that? When did you fall in love and have a baby? I fell in love and had a baby 2003. It was awesome. It was, it was definitely not planned, but it wasn't, but it was wanted, but it was just mm-hmm. not planned at the time. For me, like his dad was like psyched. You know, he really wanted to have a baby. I was like, I'm still like not ready to do that yet. He was super ready to have it. So, you know, we weren't not trying to do it. And as you know, like add water and like, <laughs> it's like, oh, wow, cool. Right. So it was one of those things where it's like uh, you wake up you're like, wow, OK, cool. So, yeah, I just rocked with it. And I really like intuited a lot. I didn't know. I was like one of the first people in my friend group to get pregnant. So I didn't have like models Mm, for what to do and people to like really talk to about it. And I wasn't talking to my mom. And You were. I wasn't. Like I saw it as more like um, everybody has their opinions and like the things that they do for them. And I felt like I had my own experience and I don't want it to be filtered through other people's advice or, or their experiences. So you didn't seek it out. I didn't. I did seek it out through expert information, but not advice. Mm -hmm. So more like, you know, what are the um, nutrition levels to look like? Or what are the exercises that are suggested? Or what are like these types of things, more like information that everyone would want to take in and then sort of apply in their life accordingly, Mm -hmm. but not like, so what did you do when you were, you know, I didn't really... You know, I understand. I, I, I wanted like, like I that pure, mm-hmm. and I, I didn't have peers. Wise. You know, I didn't have peers, so I just had to like do it on myself. But, but also, I think I was at this 
very naive and um, like, yes, very naive place where everything to me was like a first in that, you know, window. And it was all like, oh, this is fascinating. And I was I was recently a student. Right. Mm -hmm. So I still had my head on of learning. So I was like going in these classes where I delivered my son. They you have to take 21 hours of education. I was like, yes, you know, because like once you get out of college, you like bang the door to get back in. And because you're like, wait, I didn't take advantage of this. Like, please let me back (laughs) in. I like have to go live life. Like, what am I going to do? Like, where are the grown ups at? Um, So I was like so excited. They were like, you have to do this education if you deliver your baby here. It's at Elizabeth Seton Childbearing Center. It was on 14th Street. That's amazing. It was amazing. And wow. So everyone, I mean, good for everybody. Does it still exist? No, this is a sad thing. Like it closed maybe a month after my son was born. So if you can think of 14th between 7th and 8th, it's right next door to the Darby or up and down. My yep. son thinks he was born in a nightclub, but um, <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> but literally right next door. I need to DJ, so it's like, it's really apropos. Um, but it was an amazing place because it was the only freestanding birth center in New York. Wow. And so you would go there to deliver your baby. If you needed a transfer, two blocks away was St. Vincent's, which is now condos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was really amazing. And then, they kept you for like six hours afterwards and then you go home. So I, I had the baby at like one in the afternoon. I walked home at six and I was like, what? Wow. What is like, what? You know, it was bizarre to just be like, walk out with this human, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So wow. it was kind of, it was Ouch. kind of crazy. Yeah. yeah. Good but, for, I mean, that's I'm so fortunate that you had that experience. I mean, that's so far from the norm. Yeah. So how did, okay, so then you had this experience. Did you yeah. realize like, okay, I'm, this is exceptional? I mean, yes. Okay. And then how did you sort of formulate after that? So I was really like open and I also understood what was happening through my body through this sciencey lens mm-hmm. because I was, I'm so nerdy. So I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. You know, I was really excited about what was happening when it was happening. Yeah. And so um, I remember my son was like a week late, you know, as is common for boys first time. He was a week late. I was walking a lot that the night before and his father and I, we walked like three miles or something throughout the city. It was July. So it was like getting warm, actually. I remember I got to the house, took a shower, got ready for bed. And I was like, you know, I just wish this baby would give me a sign. You know, I'm just like, it's like a freaking week later. They're already talking about like, if you don't have your baby within the next week, then you'll have to go transfer to the hospital and they'll want to induce you. So you want to have them like, you know, by 42 weeks. Now they do it by 41. Oh, so they let me go to 42. So great. <laughs> Not everybody does that, unfortunately. I mean, I, I beg. the bag, right? I yeah. Like, yeah. So yeah. So then I was sitting in the bed and then I was listening to gospel music, Mahalia Jackson. And she was like moving. She was like, you know, like going through this. And then all of a sudden I heard this pop. And I was like, what is that? And I was like, and then I was like, oh my God, I think my water broke. He's like, you're peeing in the bed. I was like, I'm not peeing in the bed. And I get up and it was like, did you watch Sex and City where Miranda had her water? It was that. I was like, oh my God, this is so, I was like, this is awesome. It's like TV. It's crazy. It came out. It was just like TV. And then, of course, my son's grand, his godfather shows up with like bottles of water for me because he would always bring me like big jugs of water when he would come and stuff. Comes, shows up with these big things of water. And I was like, move, I'm trying to find the mucus, the mucus plug, you know? <laughs> and it was like, it was just like bizarre, you know? But then, of course, I didn't go to sleep. I watched jazz documentaries. I stayed up. I was so excited. We were calling people, like we were promoters, like, yo, it's happening tonight. <laughs> like the baby's coming. You know, we we're just so excited. Set at midnight. Get your tickets. 
tickets now. Get your tickets now. It's going down. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's exciting. Yeah. So we had the, this like headspace of like, this is so cool. Yeah. Um, and then it kicked in maybe like, that was like midnight, 1230. And it started, I started to feel stuff around 637 in the morning. And I didn't sleep well because I was watching freaking jazz, jazz, Ken Burns jazz documentaries. <laughs> That'll do it. God, so, Ken Burns. That damn Ken Burns. <laughs> so I had so no good. energy. So by the time it was, you know, showtime, I was really exhausted. Mm-hmm. But I think around nine o'clock, I was like, we need to go. And so we we left, we got there, and he came at 109 in the afternoon. Oh. And that's so I really felt the intensity from like nine to one. Yeah. But then the night, like there was nothing really, which was cool. But what I have to say is that when I showed up, like there was silence. They just watched. They observed me for like three minutes. When you showed up at the birth center. When I showed up at the yeah. birth center. Yeah. Quiet. That's amazing. And, yeah. they, and then they like pulled me in. And the one thing I will say that transformed for me, or I guess I should say made it like, this is what's going to happen. Like I'm going to help women in this way was in during transition, which is right before the baby's about to come. Like Basically like when you're running track and you hit that turn, mm-hmm. right? Before you get the straightaway and you're like, okay, I can see the finish line. That's transition. Transition is such a gentle word for what that actually feels like. It is. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like the transition. Hold on to your effing hat should be what it's called. <laughs> Would you say? I said, hold on to your effing hat. Hold on to your hat. <laughs> so, what it's called. Or get your little hair tie. Pull it all together. Get your scrunchie. Um, so, so I was having the, I was in the get your scrunchie space. And I remember I had this like out of body experience because number one, I didn't sleep, right? So there was like the sleep deprivation thing kicking in. Number two, I had, I was having this primal experience where I was like sleeping fully REM sleep between contractions. And I would have dreams that I felt like they were 45 seconds long, Yeah, but they were, I felt like Mm. I was in a world. So it was like, I was in this like very, so it was creating this trance. Okay. So by time I was about to push the baby, I feel this energy around me, like in the shape of a horseshoe. I can like even see it right now, like when I close my eyes and it was like behind me and on the other sides of me, not in front of me, but just here in in my gaze. I could see people. I could see like somebody was up there. So I look up and I see these ancestors and they were cloaked oh, like yeah. this. And this is so crazy because I watched Black Panther. I was like, that's what I saw. I was having my baby. They were like this, but they weren't doing this, but they were just like this looking down and they were robed and I didn't recognize the faces, but there was like a soul recognition. And so I was like, I want to go up there. And everybody remembers me saying that I want to go up there. And I pointed and I remember ascending out of my body and I could see everything. I just saw everything. So I was describing to them, oh my God, he has hair. And there was things I couldn't see from the vantage point that I was physically in, mm-hmm. but I could see. It was crazy. That so it was just full, amazing. like, it was this transcendental, like, sort of meditation. Full, total out of body yeah, experience. Yeah. I mean, I definitely felt like, I mean, I wasn't like where I was giggling. I mean, I was cracking jokes during the labor, but I wasn't giggling at the end where people were like, oh my God, I was just like, <laughs> and then the baby oh, came out. Gosh. No, I was you know, using all my sounds and yeah. I was, you know, in it. But in that moment, I, I, I clearly remember that. And then I remember when he came out, I was just like, hi. 
And yeah. I was just like, oh my God. Like, and then 20 minutes later, I was like, oh, what did I have? You know, yeah. by they're That's like, so oh, funny. I them. had the same reaction. I was just like, baby. It baby. didn't even occur to me to ask like right? what the sex was. And did you say, oh my God, oh my God? I was just like, oh my God, yeah. oh my God, oh my God, oh yeah. my God. You just are so so in 20 minutes, probably or 30 minutes, I don't know, within the first hour, I was like, I have to protect this for women. Nobody said it yeah. was like this. Nobody said it could be like this. People don't realize that they're like chipping women from an experience. And I don't mean that if it's not that way, that it's not. It's like every experience is its own and is is contained as its own thing. But I believe that every woman should have the experience that she desires, no matter what the outcome. So if she wants to feel supported, she should have access to support. If she wants to be, you know, like with family and friends who love her, they should be able to be in the space. If she doesn't have a partner, she should have somebody who, you know, makes her feel loved and seen, you know? She should have care providers who believe in her and the and what her body can do, you know? So, so it's not like just about like, oh, let's make it kumbaya and TV friendly, you know? Right. And it's, everything's going to be like, you know, heart emojis popping out as the right. baby emerges. But it needs to feel like when you come on the other side of it, that you have something that you gain something that you didn't have when you started and it should make you feel empowered. It shouldn't make you feel less. And I think that a lot of what happens in our medical system and in our, and I'm not, and I thank God for medicine, but a lot of times women don't emerge feeling that way. And that's really what I want to restore. I want every woman, no matter what, what type of birth she has, to come on the other side of it feeling powerful. Well, and you were set up for success, which is so rare, right? So that would be an amazing first step is, I mean, knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. So like if you fully understand and you have to take like how many hours did you have to take? It was 21 hours of education. Imagine if every woman had 21 hours of, you know, understanding what's about to happen. Right. How much more empowered they would be at the moment of birth. to the point that Latham made, understanding the possibilities of what can happen. I mean, that's what I think is so fascinating is you can can read the science and understand the clinical experience Mm -hmm. and the physiological workings of it, but to actually know that there is a possibility that you can have this like out of body, you know, inspiring, moving experience as part of it. Like, I think most people don't even think about it. It's very clinical. I mean, I'm speaking from absolutely zero experience myself, but just observationally. Yeah. Uh, It's amazing. And I think that 21 hour education piece is like, yeah, that does not exist anymore. It's all up to you. Yeah. Yeah. It's all up to the woman to sort of go figure it out on your own. On your own. And unfortunately, yeah, you have to sort of talk about it. You have to figure it out on your own because your peers most likely did not have that experience, Mm -hmm. did not do the research. And like, it's the same thing with your mom. You know, I did ask my mom. Mm-hmm. I was like, because my mom had four kids. Yeah. I was the youngest of four. I was like, okay. And she talks about it. Like, she just sort of like sneezed and it was like, whatever. They all came out <laughs> natural. She's like, oh, it's so easy. You know. My mom did say that too, that I was easy, but my sister wasn't. I, you know, and I was like, I'm going to call we BS need to dig on deeper, that. deeper, mom. Like, I'm pretty yeah. sure everything wasn't just picture perfect. And I think that's her way of like not trying to scare you, but... Mm-hmm. I definitely discovered like very quickly that I was like, okay, I need to like educate myself on this stuff because, you know, there were some stumbles along the way. Yeah. You know, because I kind of went the extra mile, I was like, I did feel more empowered, especially the second time around. So the first time I had a C-section, fine, he was breech. So like, okay, like understandable. I'm going to let you like go ahead and cut the baby out of me. But the second time I went to the same high-risk doctor Mm. and I was like, I want a V-back, which is... Vaginal birth after cesarean. 
you know, he's a high-risk doctor. He's like the doctor's doctor. He's right. Like, you know, that guy on the, like, on the Upper East Side. Yeah. And everybody goes to him and you feel really safe, but you feel like he's, you know, he's calling he's the charge. shots. Like he's actually going to determine how this goes. Right. And so I, you know, I was like, so how are we going to do, how are we going to really make sure that I'm like set up for a success here? And like, we're all like step by step thinking about how I can actually make this happen without mm-hmm. a C-section. And he was always just like, well, yeah, there's no reason. You know, it's all just very passive. And like, there's no reason they shouldn't be able to. And I was like, you know, so I actually switched doctors the mm. third trimester. Yep. And I was like, I'm not, I don't believe you. <laughs> I was like, you are not giving me like a lot of confidence that you're like behind me and you're going to like work with me to make this happen. Well, and to make the experience the way that I want it to be, right. as opposed to what you've just sort of decided, like, oh, right. nothing to worry about. Yeah. Right. She's not going to have a choice in the end. I'm, I'm going to make the decision. Yeah. Right. So it was very, you know, it could have been very clinical. I'm like so lucky and I'm so privileged that I got to have all these like people behind me mm-hmm. that I hired. You right. know, like I had my acupuncturist and my like doula and I went to my birthing classes and I liked, you know, and that was so key. Right. Yeah. But you also had the intuition and something kicked in for you that told you, let's make a different choice. Like, yeah. Like I want to ensure that I have the experience that I desire. Yeah. And it's not, and I'm just not feeling it here. I think that most people are afraid to challenge their doctors. Mm-hmm. Or I was. To, right? Yeah, I certainly so, was. That, but look at the culture that we're in, right? Yeah. Where So women can't, even if it's like a female doctor, there is this patronizing way mm-hmm. of dealing with, so it's like, I know more than you. It's like, really? Because I've been living in this body for like 38 like, years. I'm the one with a vagina here. Right. right. <laughs> and also, yeah, I have the anatomy that you don't even have. So it's like, can we just talk about like how we can work together and how you can work for me so that I can right. have the outcome that I desire? Right. But I think that it's like positioned the opposite. Like we pay them and then we also are afraid of them in a lot of cases, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. No, that's a really interesting point. Yep. Yeah. But we love doctors. Like, I work very <laughs> we well with them. You're so like, don't um, be, yeah. Plays well with doctors. No, and I, I think I, well. I was very grateful when I, when I just to be clear, like, I, I totally agree. And my, that doctor was incredible. And he was actually, for my first pregnancy, was the only one after going to a ton of specialists who kind of, like, figured out why I had a previous miscarriage. Mm. And so he really was thorough, mm-hmm. but he was very cautious. Right. And so that didn't. You know, it, it didn't work like, for the second. Didn't work for the second because yeah. the second it was like it was a different different game. Yeah, but yes, I mean, thank God for those those very cautious doctors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we need them too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think a lot of this kind of theme that you've been describing really has to do with your. This is your commitment to kind of create the most optimal and like safe environment for the mother mm-hmm. as she's going through this process. But then I think something that I probably are, I think there are a lot of questions and conversation about is like what happens after? Like where, how long does that safe environment or that sense of like support and and stability stay with her? Because it's the postpartum process that I think has tripped up a lot of people. And it's worthy of some discussion. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm huge on postpartum support. I've worked as a postpartum doula. I don't do as often. I, 
we hire them to work with um, families a lot. So people come, it's, it's interesting because people are so focused on just the birth. And then once they get on the other, and even if you're discussing with them, they're like, yeah, like it's almost like they can't see the other side yet or believe everyone when they say like, oh, it can be challenging. You might want to have support. People think that everything's going to be like the normal, like their friends are going to be there and like everybody's just going to like fall into place and it just doesn't. And you lose friends and people piss you off and people invite you to stuff like two hours before and you're like, yo, like I'm freaking like, there's a kid on my tit, like 24 seven, like how am I going to come, you know, or whatever it is. So I think that you know, now in our culture with this emergence of mental health being of pivotal focus and also trending, um, which is kind of weird. For better like, or for worse. Right, yeah. exactly. Is that um, now it shines a light on many aspects of mental health, which include maternal health. And um, maternal mental health is critical to monitor because the the period in you know, during pregnancy, within a year postpartum, at any point along that continuum, you can experience baby blues as well as mild depression, postpartum depression, postpartum psychosis, which is like obviously on the further of the end. And if you've been someone who's experienced uh, previously depression or of, of any sort, um, uh, then you're also at, at higher risk when you're pregnant. So, to me, it's like if we're not looking at before the baby comes, how to design our lives in a way that we have support structured, then it makes it super challenging once the baby arrives. So um, as a doula, and, and so many doulas also work this way, it's like examining everything that's on your plate and seeing like, oh, OK, over here, we're going to need support. It's like basically one of my clients also always says like, oh, she's like a producer for your birth. Like she's looking at everything. and About assessing. you? Yeah. Like <laughs> we figure everything out. Right. Yeah. So we have to look at like, what's the life going to be like when all of the fanfare is done? What's and, the run of show post baby? Right. right. Yeah. And who's around and what are the resources and, you know, who's going to make food and what do you like all of this. So I like to sort of map, make a map around that and then either put a postpartum plan in place or actually hire someone who is going to implement the plan. Sometimes family members come or like people have like a nanny, the the, the night nurse or the mm-hmm. things like this where they try to squeeze in this idea of this the nurse is going to support the mom. They don't. They're there really to change diaper, wake the baby, put them on your breast, put them back to bed. They're not really great no. you know what? with I everything a, else. I had a night nurse the first baby and I, did, I chose to not have one the second time. Yeah, it's Because nice. I was like... I have to. I don't have to nurse this baby every time. You know, every two hours. Like, anyway, the night nurse isn't going to do it. All like, she's going to do is just do this, hand it to you. Exactly. So and not I'm saying feel bad. It, not saying it's not enough, but it's like, yeah. or not saying it's not valuable. It is depending on what it is that you're trying to achieve, mm-hmm. right? So for me, I needed. I just was like, I'm going to keep the baby right here, and when it wakes up, I'm just going to feed it, and I'm going to put it back down, and yeah. I'm going to be so close that I'm not going to really wake up and miss mm-hmm. sleep. And mm-hmm. then, so I didn't have the. I'm you know running down the hall then running down the stairs and then, you know, waking up fully to be in my full faculty. I was just rolling over, yes. you know, and grabbing the baby. So much easier. much easier. So I think like if we get around, like figure out how do we design our lives in a way that things are just easier? How do we embrace the energy of ease in this situation? Then we find that we don't have to remap everything to fit into what like society is saying, like, oh, you baby's got to sleep over here and learn to soothe and all these things. It's like, 
No, it was inside of me for super long. And now it's sleeping by itself cold and has to regulate its own temperature. No, like the baby's going to be right here. And what I found from my own experience, my son's 14, about to be 15, I can speak to his level of emotional intelligence, his neurological development. Obviously, I think he's so smart, but he is really smart. But it's not just that. It's that he and I are so connected because very early on, I was really committed to responding to every single one of his needs because I don't think you can spoil a baby. I don't. I I don't. (laughs) Right. Exactly. I just think that you can provide, you can protect, and you can instill a sense of safety, security, and belonging that will carry them through the world so that they don't become monsters, Mm -hmm. so that become helpful members of society and well-adjusted people. So I think that if we focus on how do we support moms and fathers and whoever, whatever the configuration of the family looks like in raising well-adjusted children, if we focus on that, and how do we support them becoming well-adjusted new parents— If that's our focus, then everybody will step up to the plate. But it's not. Like, the focus is, like, how do we get them to, like, get through this process really quick so we could push them back out into the workforce and, you know, sort of assume business as usual. Mm -hmm. Like, there's this real focus in our society on, like, getting back to where we were. And there's nowhere we were. Like, that's gone. So, like, it's it's just a new way forward, right? (laughs) So, So I think that what happens with a lot of moms that experience the depression is that there's this... This death of the ego, that this ego sheds like when the baby comes and some part of you that was there before is no longer. And this new one emerges that you're not even sure who it is yet. You're just becoming familiar. And so you're trying to adjust. It's like you're putting on, you know, when you find little kids and they're putting on the high heels and playing in the, you know, you're like (laughs) that. Like, who am I now? And you got to step into it. But then you don't have people to support you. Mm -hmm. So that's why I feel like the postpartum doula is a fantastic option for somebody to mother you as you move into new motherhood who will help you with recovery, Mm -hmm. but also like a set of adult ears, Mm -hmm. you know, because you're just like talking to a baby otherwise a lot of the time, or you're talking to people who aren't relating to to where you are in this life stage and um, somebody who could cook for you, who will also like kind of help you with a lot of the things that we don't learn in because of how our family structures are in these days. You don't learn how to care for a child in the way that you would have if you observed it your whole life, right? right. Unless you're in a big family. And so I think that having that support also eases these things like um, postpartum depression. And when there are instances of it that come up that we don't, like act like it's, oh my God, we're, you know, this is so bad that you're having this, but that we recognize that there are things that lie beneath the surface that need to be addressed and that we adequately support people in addressing them. Right. So like this idea that it is, you know, postpartum depression, anxiety, whatever it is, whatever you're experiencing is this negative thing. Right. So when we look at these other stages of life, like puberty mm-hmm. and menopause, mm-hmm. there is a name for it. And yeah. we're all like, Hold on to your hat. We know what's coming. Just respect that phase of life. That's what it is. That's what it is. That's normal. That's okay. And like you'll move through it. But postpartum is very different. It's mm-hmm. just kind of like everyone kind of like whispers. Like even my therapist postpartum was like, like she would look at me with such fear of like, she was constantly checking on me. Like I was about to like jump off a cliff, which is so strange. I was like, she's like, 
So you sure you're not having any postpartum depression? Oh my God. Like, do you ever like think projecting. about harming? Did you ever think about, I'm just like, no. I mean, I, you know, had a little baby blues, like hormone dump, but like. Well, and also when you say it like that, it makes you feel like, like if I am, then I don't want to tell know, you. I was yeah. very like, wrong. right. And then I'm like. It's like, are you gaslighting me? Right. <laughs> right. It was a little bit, it was a little weird. Um, yeah. And I love my therapist, but like there was confusion. And I feel like someone just sort of shined a light on it recently for me mm. that. I was like, oh, it wasn't it wasn't postpartum depression. It was anxiety. Mm-hmm. I was having like crazy anxiety because I was like, you know, for every week, I'm like, oh my God, I have to keep this human alive. And like, yes. I'm having a full on identity crisis, you know, mm-hmm. your point about like stripping the ego and all that stuff. It all sort of folds into that. Totally. Yeah. So this kind of like, differentiating between the two, between yeah. anxiety and depression, I yeah. think is like right. very, and being very able, important. Yeah. yeah. And being able to talk about it because this whole taboo notion yeah. of like, to your point, like you just said, like there's not even really a name for this phase that is sort of universally accepted as like, oh, this is actually just what happens. And it does happen to everybody. It just happens in varying degree. degrees. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. The support is the support is key, but I, I, I love what you said because it is so much about being able to name something, mm-hmm. right? To be able to say, this is what I'm feeling. And for someone to say, oh, wow, you're not alone because this is what that is. And then right. for you to be like, okay, cool. Now I can hold it and know that yeah. I have practices and all kinds yeah. of things that I can do to to help myself get through it, yeah. you know, or, but also, or be with it as well. Like not try right. to, oh, I'm trying to get through this or right. whatever. Just like think, live in it. Just be, be in, in it. That. Yeah. And then, you know, because it, it does pass, but it passes if we have support. You know, we do have to, to yeah. work work with it. Yeah. Yeah. I always feel so bad. I have an older sister too. She's five years older and she really? has two kids. And I was just like, you know, I had no idea when she had her kids. I feel like I, I should apologize to her because I wasn't like supportive, but I right. didn't understand. You didn't understand what she was going People through. People don't understand. You don't understand until you have a kid. And then you're like, oh my God, I should have been so much more present for you. And I felt That's so, so bad. It's never too late to say you're sorry. It's oh. true. <laughs> I'll text her right now. Okay. <laughs> Maybe um, she's listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope she is. Um, anyway, but yeah, that's that was a very pivotal moment for me. Can we switch to like your sort of where you are now in terms of just you? Like, how do you take care of you? And like, what's your routine? And mm. what are you like eating? And what are your practices in order to kind of stay glowing? I've always been really clear that I have to like fill up so that I can do the work. You know, sometimes you're at a birth and it's like, you know, 10 hours. Sometimes it's like 36. Like, so you don't get to be tired. <laughs> you can't be like, oh my God, I'm so tired. Like what's going on for you? Like, you know what I mean? Like you gotta be on. So, so I know that like when I'm anticipating a baby, um, I, I lean into my self-care really deeply and um, I'll go to bed earlier, especially when I'm anticipating a baby. When I'm not though, I would say for me, you know, my waking up sets the tone for my day. Now that I'm in Brooklyn, it's so amazing because I have this uh, this roof. I also have a backyard, but the roof is so cool because right at the top, there's all windows and there's this little um, ledge where I can do yoga or do meditation. The sun comes in mm. and then there's right outside. So in the cold, I sit on the in, on the inside, but yeah. when it's warm, I can go on the outside. Just so, nice. so nice and just to kind of get the fresh air and, and just allow myself to sit and let the sort of pace of my day be determined by moving intentionally and slow. And I try not to schedule stuff 
really early on where I know it's like too close to when I'm waking up so that I don't have to feel rushed. I try Mm -hmm. to like, you know, make breakfast, spend time with my son before he goes to school and then make my first appointments be, you know, after I've had some time alone. So, you know what? I love to like make my own breakfast because New York was one of those places where I was like, they have everything. But I feel like it's not great for breakfast food for people who are healthy. <laughs> that's yeah. true. It's not. You so got to make a good decision a, at the beginning and then that's whatever it. else happens. Yeah, yeah. So, I totally agree. So I, so I have to just do my own thing. And right now I'm really into like savory breakfast. Mm-hmm. Like I make like, like making broths and like steamed vegetables and like grain and like avocado and stuff like that. I love that. If I start like that, I never end up craving anything sweet. If I start with like smoothie, then it's different. The types of things that I reach for during the day. I stopped eating bread like three years ago. I loved, I lived for avocado toast, by the way. Let me clarify. I made my avocado toast on cauliflower bread. Homemade. Oh, excuse me. Homemade cauliflower bread. Very fancy. We're going to have to get the recipe for the I don't have children. (laughs) Exactly. I have time to make cauliflower bread. She's like, I'm like cauliflower bread. Um, Well, yeah. Okay. So I'll have to get the recipe for that. Yeah. So for me, like the bread was like making my brain like foggy. So I stopped doing that. I love like kale, farro, mushrooms, Mm. things like that, like little salads, like green salads, things like that. I love because those are easy and just last, you know, throughout the week. My son got into like those little seaweed uh, crackers (laughs) like when he was like five or whatever. So we always have those in the house. Yes. But I'm really into adding bladderwrack seaweed in like my rice and all that kind of stuff. It's really good for the thyroid. Mm. You can get like a thing of it. And just take it, you know, out of the, you can just take it out. It's like usually in plastic or mm-hmm. in like a bin yeah. and you can throw it into anything. It could be rice. It could be anything that is going to expand. Mm-hmm. It could take off into the flavor. Yeah. So if it's like a soup or a stew or whatever, it's really good. It's salty, obviously, but um, it's amazing for people who are looking to, I'm not trying to get pregnant, but if you are, you know, and you want to regulate your thyroid, it's very helpful for people who've had cancer. It's very helpful. Is it so, that specific type of seaweed or any seaweed? That specific okay. type. All seaweeds are really great for the thyroid yeah. and and for iron and for iodine. But this specific one is super good. Oh, cool. Yeah, and it's really helpful for people so. who are trying to get pregnant. But I'm not trying to get pregnant, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I often do things that are like fertility focused for no reason, you know. But um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, your thyroid always gets a bit wonky when you're pregnant, right? Mm-hmm. Mine was definitely out of whack. Like to the point that I would just like insist on being tested every month. <laughs> See, at least you, at least she knew. Listen, man, I was definitely yes. Be your own doctor to a certain to. extent. You have to, you, especially because a lot of the doctors. So for, for people with fertility, they're going through these cycles of like really intense off-label drugs, yeah. and they're not even getting tested to see what their baseline is mm-hmm. for like their blood and for their thyroid, and you know. When you don't have that information to start with, you don't even know what to compare to once you've gone through the process and if it's not working. Mm -hmm. So I'm always suggesting people to really like get a thorough checkup, a thorough panel of like everything possible beforehand so that you can use it to measure against where you are if you come up against challenges in the process. And don't always assume something's wrong. I think just because you're sitting with a doctor and they're focused on fertility or sitting with whomever, like, you know... You can go any place and sit with someone and in like because of what it's their expertise, they can find a way to sell you on something, even if not necessarily there's not necessarily something wrong. So um, I think that a lot of people go too quickly in a certain direction instead Mm -hmm. of saying, okay, where's my power in this? And how can I even if I do go this path, how can I best 
prepare myself and my body so that I'm the best candidate to even uptake this, you know, drug, especially if you're doing like treatments like cancer or infertility. A, a lot of the time, you know, things will work more efficiently if your body's prepared. And if it's not, like if there's certain things that are just off, then the drugs can't help. You right. know, the drugs can't even do their job. So right. I think it's really good for people to realize that it's not one or the other. It's a combination of you, you know, claiming your power, like you said, being really empowered in how you be your own doctor first and yeah. get your baseline. Yeah. I mean, I know? think that's critical. I, even when you're not dealing with fertility, when you're dealing with any Anything. health, I mean, people measuring things and my, you know, my intake of this and my output of this, but you don't know until you actually know where you start. Yeah. So any good. Finding a baseline is kind of just critical to anyone's it's health. It's kind of Anybody. common sense. Yeah. yeah. Any good functional medicine doctor, endocrinologist, like the first time you sit with them is going to say, okay, step one, we do a full workup. Yeah. yeah. And that's your baseline. Right. So everybody make sure you're getting a full workup before you start any process. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Speaking of empowerment, can we talk about this book for a second? Yeah. And by second, I mean literally. Yeah, like one second. No, no. I want. Yeah. <laughs> um, so own your glow. Okay. Yes. What is it? How can I do it? I love it. How can I do it? I want to do it. Do I it. want to own my own glow. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you can just actually just lay it on you at night and, <laughs> and just, just soak it in. Tuck, tuck yeah, the book tuck under in. your arm. That's right. That's right. Yeah, no, it's really, you know, I wanted to create a guide for women that was, you know, for them to kind of reclaim their bodies as sacred and you know, embrace self-care as a pathway to empowerment. And so there's rituals, there's reflective exercises and tools to kind of take you through that. And it's for like everybody who's on a mission to kind of give rise to the best version of themselves, like birth the best them, you know? Which is pretty much everybody. Yeah, That's pretty much everybody. Birth the best them. Yeah. The best advice I ever got was from my acupuncturist, actually. When I was feeling very bad, she said, you need to mother yourself. That's right. I always say that. Mother yourself first. I know. And I, for some reason, it really just kind of like hit me over the head. Yes. And I was like, yeah, I do. do. Isn't that a nice way to treat yourself? Yeah. Like your mom Be your would? own mother. Yeah. Yes. yes. Um, you're number one. Yeah. I love that idea. And if you're not well, guess what? I know. Everybody else is going to suffer. That's mm-hmm. right. What is the one piece of advice you would give to women who are trying? What is the one thing, women or anyone for that matter? Mm-hmm that we could do sort of like fold into our practice to sort of instantly turn things around or feel better? I'm going to say this because of where we are in culture. I'm going to say phone fast. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to yes. say that because... The I, technology. The fast. technology. Yeah. So when I say phone fast, I mean anything that like is technological, you know, your phone, your computer, your iPad, your everything, like don't try to be slick and act like I'm not talking about that device that you always are attached to, <laughs> right? Your iWatch, all of it, right? Yeah. So just, um, you know, put it away. You'll find how addicted we are to devices, but mm-hmm. also to the alerts and to the being sucked into another world with social media, whatever it is, right? And so what I found is... Um, when people do take their time away, the things that can happen with that time that we're not, you know, spending on technology is incredible. Yeah. The connection that you have with other humans, the things that you actually get done. So I suggest like maybe it's one day a week. Maybe you can't do it that long. Maybe it's like a few hours in a day, yeah. whatever you can do where you just shut off. Mm-hmm. And what what you're doing is hitting like control, alt, delete and rebooting yourself, you know, yeah. and then you can go outside. You can do all these other things, but like reclaim that time for yourself. So I think it's critical for people right now, especially in the culture that we're in, where everything is tethered to our phones. Yeah. So if people 
people could just do that and figure out how to make that even part of like a family routine, right. you know, like, okay, no phone at the dinner table or no phone here or just no phone zones even. So yeah. it's like, these are zones where we phone fast. Yeah. Then I think it'll be a healthy way for us to kind of live in this culture where we're like, virtually connected and actually connected mm -hmm. because the virtual is really strong now. Like it used to be that people didn't use their devices and now they only use their devices. And so like I'm sitting over here and I'm texting you and you're like, yes, let's go. It's like yep. we can literally be across from each other. So if we can bring human connection back, I think a lot of the existential stress that we experience in relation to our phones. Yeah, that's um, a good one. You know, well, and it's also easy. Like you can do it as soon as you walk. You out can the do store. it like after right you now. finish you know, the podcast. It, just, it gets you in. That's right. Right when you. Um, so it, because you're no longer reacting, right? So you're suddenly in this position where you're like being proactive about everything. That's a good one. Good yes. answer. Thank you. I was on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> well, we would love to continue this talk, but we have to wrap it up. That's right. We would like to play our quick round of our fun game that we like to play with everybody, which is your fantasy dinner party. Ooh. <laughs> Who are you inviting? Ooh. Top three. Okay, so there's three people eating with me? I mean, your table might seat 12, but... Okay. So who are my top right. three that are coming? Oh, my God. Well... Okay, it would definitely be um, the Obamas because, I mean, like, there's no because. It would be yeah, like the you Obamas. You don't have to explain yourself. And they can count as why. one. Okay, that's, oh my God, <laughs> Oh, yes. you get the whole family as one credit? <laughs> that's not? amazing. Okay, well, that's like half Package the table, steel. right? So generous. Package deal. Yeah, because then my son could, like, sit with Sasha and Malia. You right. Know, they could, like, oh, kind of that's so cute. Love. Okay, um, I would invite also, my grandmother recently passed, so I'm in September. Sorry. So I would love to have her at dinner and be able to see her again. And like, she would be super excited to have dinner with Obama. I too. would. Yes. Absolutely she, so that's also. And you know, she actually went with me to the inauguration when the first inauguration, my son was five. I was nice. carrying him in a sling and it was like 10 degrees outside and my grandmother was there. And her crying is what got us seats because, oh. <laughs> because she was like, I lived through the civil rights and I lived through a whole bunch of stuff and you're not going to tell me right now, young man, that I'm not going to have a seat at this. And I, I was like, yes, granny. And then we went right through and she got seats and everything and I was standing, but it was still cool. So yeah, so my grandmother would love that moment. I mean, that's probably enough. I, I can't even think of any. That's a nice dinner party. Okay, what does my grandma want to eat? My grandmother is going to want biscuits. <laughs> 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 I love that it just shifts now. It's like, you know what? It doesn't actually matter what you want to She's cook. Gonna want what want? Yeah. She's going to want biscuits. She's going to want greens, like collard greens, biscuits. You know, she was very open to me doing like a vegan Thanksgiving one year. And I never ended up coming to visit for the Thanksgiving. <laughs> so I feel horrible that I didn't do that for her. But um, I would make, I would do the, the biscuits and I would do the greens. But then I would make her have everything like that everybody else would be eating, which okay. would be vegan. Yeah. Okay, so you're going to make some tofurkey. Yeah, probably something like that. <laughs> awesome. Um, that sounds delicious. Um, and it sounds like good company. Yeah, why not, right? Yeah. Thank you so much for being here, Alitza. We're Thank so happy too. to meet you and talk to you and hear all this amazing advice. And yeah. Y'all are awesome. Life work. Good stuff. Thank you for all that you've done, too. It's and everybody amazing. can find you at uh, www.mamaglow.com and at Glow Maven, right? Yeah, okay. exactly. All right. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to HTW. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and make sure and rate us on iTunes. You can even give us five whole stars if you think we deserve it. If you have ideas for guests or topics, you can call our 1-800 number. Yes, we have a 1-800 number. 
at 800-674-1839 or holler at us on social at HTW Podcast. You can also head to our website at hgwpodcast.com for more episode info and check out our Daily Blend blog to see what we're drinking.